Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. This week in our reverse text, it is a lengthy one. In fact, in our Bible study material, we are working through six chapters this week from Job chapter 32 all the way to Job chapter 37. And this, this whole section is with one man, Elihu, who, who came in and steps onto the scene in, in a new way. And in fact, we're going to read aloud together, not those entire six chapters, but we're going to read um, a, a bit of the end of Job chapter 36. So we're going to read aloud together Job 36, 32, and we're going to go all the way into uh, chapter 37, verse 6. So if you would, stand with me and let's read this aloud together. This then is the text for today. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its noise declares his presence, the cattle also concerning what is coming up. At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it loose, and his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it a voice roars, his thunder with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. For the snow, he says, fall on the earth, and to the downpour and the rain be strong. May God bless the reading of his word. Elihu now steps in, and he is our fourth opinion. And he is the fourth opinion to Job's predicament. And, and as we've come to chapter 32, all along the way, Job has been declaring, this debilitating illness is not my fault. Though Job has faced terrible tragedy in his family, and though his life and his body is falling apart, he continues to proclaim his innocence, saying, this is not my fault. And Elihu steps in to give us another opinion on this matter. You see, Job doesn't know the inner workings of the heavenly courts. But even still, he knows he didn't bring this tragedy upon himself. And so we've, we've worked through all of these chapters. And, and as Job continues on, and, and you hear one friend argue, then you hear Job argue, you hear one friend debate, you hear Job debate, and all the way back and forth, even in the worst of the brokenness, Job remains emphatic I am innocent. 
So much so, he, he keeps saying it over and over again, I am innocent in this matter, that his friends, it seems like when we get to verse 32, chapter 1, his friends just sort of give up. And they, they stop the argument and it, it, it all ceases. And, and this is where we are in today's text. So those three friends and Job, the argument just ceases. And then here comes the fourth opinion from the top rope flying in like, into the ring like a wrestler. And he's right on cue. You, you never saw him coming. Elihu steps in and he takes center stage and he comes in just ready to wipe everybody out. And he, and he just steps in and he says, I am angry and I'm taking every one of you out with me. And so he steps and he says to these distinguished men and he points and says, I know all of you distinguished men, all four of you are distinguished. All four of you are strong. All four of you are better than I have ever been. And even still, you have embarrassed yourselves. All four of you have embarrassed yourselves in the way that you have been talking. Now, Elihu, he, he, he says, I understand. I'm, I'm younger than y'all. I have kept quiet as I should have kept quiet. But, but as the text unfolds, he, he says, I'm, I'm burning and I have to speak up. This burning within me is too much. I have to speak out. And I have to speak the truth because none of you have gotten there yet. He says his heart is broken because it sounds like, he says, Job, my heart is broken because it sounds like you, Job, have said that God has been unjust in this. Is this what you're saying? Are you saying that God is unjust? And he looks at friend after friend after friend, and he says, you have stopped this argument with Job. Are all three of you saying God is unjust because God is not unjust? Never through the course of time has God ever been unjust. If we know anything about God, God is just and God is merciful. So are the four of you sitting here before me today saying God is unjust? See, Elihu is, is angered with their weak arguments. Now, he, he is an odd character. We were first introduced to him in chapter 32. And he is an odd character because on one hand, and he tells us over and over again in, in his apology here, he says he has held such great restraint and he's listened intently and, and he's watched very carefully. And then on the, other, on the other hand, he tells us he's just boiling over in, in anger and he comes in to tear all of these guys apart from out of nowhere. He just sort of shows up. And tells them how wrong they all are. It's, it's, it's almost a sort of WWE comedy where he just comes out of nowhere and wipes the whole ring out at once. But there's purpose here. Elihu is, is unique in, in that he, he has a, a purpose. And he is preparing the way for the coming of God to speak to Job. You see, this week in Reverse, we've been working all the way from chapter 32 to 37. And, and in that, this is, this is Eli who's speaking. But the, the next chapter and the next person to speak is God himself. And so this is what he's doing. He, he's, he's looking at all four of these. He's saying, Job. He's saying, friend, 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 one, two, three. He's like, all four of you, you've gotten all caught up in this argument, and you've gotten caught up with this debate between one another that, that you have forgotten to look up. 
You have forgotten who this is about. You have forgotten what this is about. And everything comes back to the justice and mercy of God. Would the four of you stop bickering with one another and look up and receive the holy mercy of God? Because God is just, God is merciful, and he is coming with an authority that you couldn't dream of. So he's, he's here to, to wake all of them up. He, he's here to knock them out of their stupor and say, let us get back to the justice of God above. You see, what he's doing, we've had some 29 chapters of this arguing back and forth, and so he comes in to sort of clear the scene and refocus everybody on who God is, Job and his three friends and all of us to say, I know you've been reading through, you know, some 29 chapters of debate all right, let's, let's stop that, and let's see what God has to say. Before we get to his, his assessment of God, though, I want us to look at how Elihu treats Job. So turn with me to Job chapter 34, 5 and 6. And so he says, he says, I've been listening very carefully all along. I've been patient and I've been waiting. And he says, Job, I've heard you. I've heard your argument. This is your argument. He gives it in, in two verses. This is chapter 34, verses 5 and 6. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my right. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. And, and, and he, he's looking up to Job and, and he's saying, where are you coming with this? He's like, this is like you're, you're a one-trick pony. Or, or maybe it's, it's, it's easier for us to say something like this. Job, you're, you're like a cowboy with a rope. And, and you're like this cowboy with a rope, and, and you've, you've only got one argument. You've got one rope. There, there's no horse. There's no guns. There's no friends. You're, you're just, you're like a cowboy and a rope. And this is what you use. You use this same rope over and over and over again. He's saying, friend one came with his argument, and then you, you roped him in. Friend two, you roped him in. Rope, friend three, you, you roped him in. And you pull them tight, and you squeeze like a constrictor until that friend just gives up. See, that's what he's talking in, in chapter 32, verse 1, they've, they've just given up at their, their arguments. You were able to squeeze them in with that one take. Job had hogtied all three of his friends with this one argument where he says, I have done nothing wrong. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. So Elihu, he comes back to Job, and he says, J just because your illness wasn't caused by your own hand, it doesn't mean you're faultless in the aftermath. And, and just because you wrangled your three friends of yours, that doesn't mean you deserve an audience with God. He's like, Job, earlier, you, you were longing to go to court with God. You, you were looking at your friends and you were saying, well, my, my friends don't know what they're talking about. Oh, if only God would come down and meet me in court. If there was a mediator between us, oh, if, if, if I could stand with God, I know that I could prove my innocence. Nelihu rightly points out to Job, even if you are innocent, who are you to demand litigation with God? 
It doesn't matter how long you've suffered. So what if you are righteous? You don't stir the stars. You aren't the one who called the cosmos into being. And if it ever happened, if God did, as you said in chapter 9, and went to court with you, it would be like some cowboy walking into the Supreme Court to win an argument with his lasso. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. This, it doesn't work this way. Then, then Elihu, he ends his speech with a stunning description of God. He, he tells Job, he says, Job, let me take your imagination to a different place. Let me give you a different picture to better understand who God is in this moment. Elihu he, he, is saying, you, you, you have thought about this all wrong. Don't think of God as a defendant that you would take into court, or, or don't even think of God as a judge that you would argue, argue your case to. Because in your pride and in your desperate state, you're starting to imagine that you could hold your own in those cases. You're starting to imagine that you could go toe-to-toe with God. What kind of man would think he could go toe-to-toe with the creator of the universe? And he's saying, forget that picture. Stop thinking that way. Stop thinking that you're going to go to court with God. Don't use that analogy for God in this moment. Instead, consider another picture. Now, before we get to that picture, we need to understand this fully. You cannot hold your own with God. You know, there are days that we think in this very same way as Job did, that that we think, oh, I could go toe-to-toe with God. And the reason why we do, sometimes we come by this honestly. Sometimes we come by this even humility. We we read the scriptures where Jesus calls us friends. We read the the scriptures where, like John 3, 16, which says, God so loved the world. And and we know this loving heavenly Father above, above us. And so sometimes we start to imagine that God is just an old pal, that God's just, just my, my best friend that I could go toe-to-toe with, and, and we'll go back and forth together. And, and Elihu is saying, Job, this, this is not where you are, and this is not how you need to think about your God. This is a false sense of security. Or, or, or worse, you start to think that you're on the same level. You, you start to think that because of your goodness or because of your innocence that you somehow are on the same level with God. And, and, and Elihu is telling Job, get that out of your mind this very moment. There is no way that any of us could stand face to face with God. There is none of us who could demand an audience with God. And Job, I know you're desperate. I know you don't, you don't understand what's going on. But who are you to demand an audience with God? Who are you to think you could argue God in a court case? You have nothing. You are not on his level. Nothing to offer God, nor is there anything you could argue with God. And so, Eli, when we get to chapter 36 and 37, he says, Job, let me give you another picture. Let's, let's, erase, let's erase this court painting that you've got in your head. And, and I want to give you a different picture. He says, picture this. At the edge of the world, a storm dominates the horizon. And as the storm moves towards you, the power is unmistakable. 
The storm is rolling in and the clouds just blot out the sun. And, and as the clouds darken the sky, the, the lightning and the thunder announce a higher power. Look with me at, at uh, chapter 36. This is Job 36, uh, starting in 28 and 29. So th this is the case that Elihu is making. Which the clouds pour down, they drip upon man abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? Then down, down to verse 32. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its noise declares his presence, the cattle, concerning what is coming up. God, with his fingers, controls the lightning. And, and when you see this, this display, or, or when, you, when you feel the, the thunder rumbling across the hills for miles, the power of God is on display. It's like uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that, that, that creation gives us clear indication about the power of God. And, and, and everyone is without excuse. We should fall before God in reverence when, when we see these mighty displays of his power. And this is what Eli comes, comes back to Job and he says, the, the power of God is building around you and it's coming in all around you. Think, picture this like a mighty storm coming over the edge of the world. And, 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 and he says, why do you hesitate to surrender? Why do you hesitate to surrender to God in this moment? Let, let's keep reading. It's chapter 37. So I'm going to read chapter 37, 1 through 5, where Eli who con continues the same, same line of thinking. At this, my heart also trembles and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Under the whole heaven, he lets it loose and his lightning to the ends of the earth. And after it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. Elihu is, is making the case before Job. He says, Job, you, you've made a grave mistake. And, and it's, it's, it's a grave mistake that, that all of us make. And, 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 and this, is, this is calling Elihu to just get, get angry. And, and he, he looks at Job. He says, Job, you, you have completely underestimated God. You, you have wholly and completely underestimated his power and his authority and his presence in thinking you could go toe-to-toe -to -toe, and thinking you could walk into his courtroom and thinking you could argue a case before him. He's saying, Job, you look ridiculous. Job, when, when you say that you're going to stand before God and make your case, that is just as incomprehensible as someone standing in a field cattle running about, it's standing in, in a field, and they have their lasso with them, and they look up, and they start to think, I'm going to lasso the thunderstorm, and I'm going to bring it in. You see, it doesn't matter how good your argument might be. You might have the greatest lasso that's ever been made. Why would you ever think you could hogtie thunder? He said, Job, you've been pleading your innocence for chapters and chapters. I've, I've heard you days on end pleading your innocence in this matter. But, but Eli, his point is, Job, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're innocent. 
a cowboy can't lasso the lightning. What you're proposing doesn't make any sense in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't make any sense in heaven. It, it doesn't make any sense in the way this world works. You have no right. You have no power. You have no authority whatsoever to stand before our God, our maker. He says, you see the, the thunderstorm coming over the horizon and the lightning and the thunder. It's only a fraction of the power of God. That only gives us a glimpse into who he is. You think you can stand before him. You think you can lasso that storm and bring it in under your control. You're foolish. There is no way this is possible. So it continues, chapter 37. Let's read 14 through 16. He says, listen to this, Job. Stand and consider the wonders of God. Do you know how he establishes them? and makes the lightning of his cloud to shine. Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one perfect in knowledge? He's saying, Job, the, the, the presence of God is coming. The, the presence of, of God is upon us like, like a storm. And, and he's saying, Job, just put down your rope and marvel. He's saying, Job, forget your arguments, forget your ways, forget everything you want to tell God and worship him. Why do you think you have anything to tell him? Why do you think you have anything to argue with him? Why do you think you have any right to ask him of anything? Put down your rope, put down your argument, put down your burdens and worship him. There, there, is, there is no other option, there is no other way than for you to fall on your face and say, my God and my Lord. You see, an audience with God never comes because you are good. And don't ever think you will get an audience with God because of something good you have done or because you have some good argument to make. And he, Elihu, his point here, he says, God is coming. The next chapter, God's going to be here. And he says, you, you need to know to stand before God is a terrifying experience. In fact, just to stand before God is a life or death experience. And the only ones who live are those that know Jesus Christ. In fact, if you stand before God with Jesus Christ, it is a life-giving experience. See, Eli who is, is telling Job, he has no right to demand an audience with God. And neither do we, except for the fact that we know Jesus Christ. You see, what we recognize in this is what we recognize in this story, and, and Eli, who says this a couple of times in these chapters, that what you see in the power of God as it comes in over us is, is, is a restorative power. He says, it's like the rain. You, you see a mighty storm coming over, and you see the destruction that it can cause. And in a day or two, everything is green. He says, this is the way of God. God comes in to restore, and God uses all of that power and all of that might and all of that authority to restore us and to make us right and holy by, by His ways through Jesus Christ. In, in fact, what we see otherwise in this text, we saw Satan show up in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and Satan was, was asking God for some of his power, and God so allowed it. 
And God let Satan use some of that power. And as soon as Satan got that power, he abused it. Right, the, the power was destructive in the hands of Satan, and that's his work, and that's the way of the world. The, the, any, any power that is wielded by the world, any power that is wielded by Satan and his minions is always destructive. But God himself is holy, and in his holiness and in his might, he brings restoration. He builds us back up out of the destruction that's been wrought in our lives. And, and he did that very specifically, incredibly, in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's, that's what we celebrate today in the supper, 